This is episode number 169, Diversity and Inclusion, with Dr. Joseph Noya. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Ads Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a brief announcement and invite all of our listeners to our upcoming Courageous Conversation. This is something that we started about two to three months ago with the intention of bringing our community members even closer, as well as creating a space for each and every single one of us to process our own individual journeys. This call takes place every single Saturday at 9 a.m. Central Time and is hosted through Zoom. If you would like to know how you can become a part of this community and join any of these upcoming calls, please leave us a message through our website at overcomingodds.today to which we'll respond with all the details. Also, if you like what you heard on any of the previous episodes, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring stories. Now, let's get back to the show. Dr. Noya, how are you? I'm good. How about you? I am doing well. I'm surviving the heat right now here in Austin, Texas. It's been a hundred degrees for I think the past three to four months, so it's a uh, <laughs> it's a little bit ex- intense stepping outside anytime after ten a.m. in the morning. I can imagine that considering the temperature you put it. Yeah, it's pretty much hot here, but not as hot as it's over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that here in Texas we're also experiencing some hurricanes that are coming this way, or maybe they might have already hit certain parts of texas and so i watched it the other day last night actually they were reporting on that um, my heart goes out to those who are um, suffering over there especially those who don't have help because some Mm -hmm. people don't have help and unfortunately a lot of people talk about things without really factoring them into the equation Mm -hmm. yeah it's a big challenge i think i remember last time i think it was was it two years ago when hurricane harvey hit maybe three, two to, two to three years ago. Yeah. But I remember the damage that that had caused. I mean, there was at least five feet of water that brought in. And, and so they, they, there were some serious evacuations that had to be done. I mean, I remember people from Austin, Texas, mm-hmm. having to drive to Houston, everyone that had a boat, any form of flotation, had to go there mm-hmm. and save a lot of the people that lived on first floors of apartments or houses. And I could only imagine experiencing something like that as a challenge. Exactly. Stuff. That's the, the world we live in, part of which are being caused by human beings because the way we destroy our environment. So the impact of, uh, you know, um, would I say derivative of those activities is actually turning around to, to hurt us human beings. And unfortunately, um, some people who are in position of power don't factor those things into the equation. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, the poor people who cannot get out or, you know, or 
take care of themselves are the people who bear the blunt of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I wanted to have this conversation with you, and I'm glad that you and I, I was making a joke earlier, you and I have been able to <laughs> finally connect after going back and forth, back and forth on different times and calendars and things that work for us. But, you know, for me, what really stood out from your background when we initially spoke was your work in diversity and inclusion and the different strategies and tools that you've developed over the course of your life. And so, but before we get into any of that, I actually would like to even dissect this concept of diversity. In your opinion, what does diversity even mean? That's a very good question. I know a lot of people define diversity in ways that sometimes if you're really um, good at it, for me, I've researched those things for you know a long time period and it's actually part of my dissertation. So when you come to diversity, I look into policies and um, how company observe themselves, just evaluating how they operate and using the, the um, information blend to drive, you know, this definition of their goals and strategies to accomplish their goals and how they monitor activities that will lead them to those goals. Now, coming to really defining diversity, I think people define it in a number of ways. Some people define diversity in terms of numbers, how many Blacks and Hispanic and White and Mm -hmm. gays and Muslim and all those issues associated with isms, how many of them do they have? That's a perfectly a way to describe it, people who look at it very shallowly. Then some other people define it in bigger context. In that context, they define, um, they model diversity and inclusion as if they're the same, and that's two separate things. Hmm. Diversity is about how do you include all, whether you're looking at it in context of poverty, in context of educational preparation, in context of whom do you hire? Mm-hmm. Right now, if you look at data, and when people talk about the plight of black people, this has gone on for 400 years. When you hear that some people are killed here and there, and some people are quick to blame police. No, I don't blame police. I think it's more than police. We have a systemic problems. Unfortunately, we don't have leaders who could look at these problems and define them in, in holistic terms and come up with strategies to deal with the whole, whole system. So mm-hmm. I often say, because I had a discussion with police chiefs, and during my discussion, I uncovered what these people go through. And in discussion, we don't talk about it that way. But getting into their minds and seeing how they work, these are prominent people who are dedicated to doing good. Unfortunately, that their hands are often tied. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to go into that. This, this, the, the question is diversity. But let mm-hmm. me go right away to distinguish between diversity and inclusion. Diversity is about counting numbers, how many people are represented, how holistic are you in, in including everyone, whether it's in terms of race, gender, nationality, so, you know, economics, um, religion, um, Muslim, and all those things. True diversity will incorporate all. Now, mm-hmm. distinguishing it from inclusion. Inclusion is not something that uh, you, you can achieve with a magic bullet or switch. <laughs> inclusion requires meaningful engagement, 
meaning developing sense of trust with someone, someone who can actually let you into his or her guard and get you to be comfortable within his or her domain for good or bad. That's how you develop trust. So for organizations who purport to be diverse, they say, well, we hired this and hired that. That's baloney. You hired them, perhaps they, come, they came to you because they needed money to support their family. That becomes the driving force. Mm -hmm. They really have to, you have to really look at how engaged are they? How do they perceive you? What's the relationship between you and the organization? How do you tie their interest to the interest of the organization? And that's what most organizations are lacking. I recall president of J.C. Morgan Chase, Jamie, once said, I hired all these, uh, you know, black people and so on and so forth. But all of a sudden they left. Why? I give them the opportunity. Well, what he failed to understand is that these people were there, but they felt yeah, yeah. like they're not really involved in activities. They don't get invited for social activities. They don't get involved in decision making. So they're just there working with in mind to support their family. So as soon as they get something that could enable them to fulfill that, supporting their family, even though the money may be lower, what drives them actually is to they go to a company that will help them to develop a sense of belonging, mm. a company that will respect them, a company whose values could align with their, their own. Mm -hmm. And that's what inclusion means. I see some um, DEI people misconstrue that. It's different. It's like if you invite people to come to your party, some people will come and stay and just sit down. Some other people will be dancing. <laughs> Well, you have to invite those people to dance. Yeah. When they get into dancing, that's when you are including them. Just mm -hmm. inviting them, it isn't enough. That's mm -hmm. how I would define, the, or rather how I would try to you know, describe or, or distinguish between diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. Whose responsibility do you think it falls on? You bring up a really good point of the employer and employee, such as, for example, I'm coming into a company and the primary means may be just to collect the paycheck and gain some sort of wealth so that way I can pay some of the bills and responsibilities that I have outside of it. But maybe I haven't defined that why or the, the larger reason beyond the financial thing. Is that, is that, does that fall on the employer to recognize who the individual is and what their motives are? Or is that a dual responsibility between the employee and the employer? I think that's really a good question. I think it will be, um, it will, the responsibility will fall on both. Mm -hmm. But you also have to understand, in the first place, some people who go to work in a capitalistic system, a system that is actually, in my opinion, structured to benefit some. There are some people whose conception of inclusion is different. They will first of all take care of the people who are connected uh, to them. Mm -hmm. Look at politics. You may see politicians talk a very good game, but when it comes to actual issues, you see some of them, they have, you know, they get people who are not even qualified for positions and put them there. When mm. in fact, people who are super qualified don't get anything. So those people who would just be looking for a job to help them keep their family up, because that's the first priority, they will take anything to fulfill that priority. 
So on their part, they don't have much choices. That's why I shift the larger portion of the responsibility to corporations. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, some of these corporations are represented by people. And from foundational standpoint, we have a system where we have what I described in my book as mm. artificial walls. These artificial walls demarcate people. So when people are growing and forming, it's always talking against the other people on the other wall. And when they come to a circumstance where they will be forced to be together, it becomes artificial. Hey, your hair is good. I like you. So those are rubbish. Mm -hmm. Because when they to their circle or cliques, everything that comes out is negative. So you can't divorce the belief you formed in that confined location where you see withers of them. You can't, you can't divorce it from your behavior. When it comes to gut decision-making, you have to refer back to that belief system that will ultimately drive your behavior. So mm. corporate leaders are not um, special. They developed in such confined locations. And of, of course, there's no system of engagement or adequate training for them to even understand the magnitude of issues they have to deal with. So mm -hmm. when they go as a corporate leader, they lead the organization, that misconception is also brought into the equation. So the, whom the burden falls on should be both. But more importantly, I look at the leaders. Leaders' responsibility is to sort of set vision, mm -hmm. move towards that vision. We know that uh, issues of racism, discriminatory practices, is a systemic problem. For people who try to sweep them under the rug, um, that's why we are where we are now. This is historical. This is happening as we speak. Go to schools, you see the same thing. You have a principal who has no idea of his or her students. You have a system where people are not trained or taught about these issues. So when a teacher comes, that's why you, hear, you see like teachers, when they get to classroom, mm -hmm. first grade, they already determined who is going to do well, who is not going to do well. So that very belief I had alluded to earlier, stemming from these artificial walls, they cannot divorce it from their practices. And so that's where it lies. So if he's principal, they have to be taught well. If he's a president of a university, they have to be taught well. If he's a corporation, they have to be taught well. Unfortunately, some of these people never even took diversity and inclusion serious because he had never impacted them personally. So they don't really know what to do. That's why you see like a lot of people are now calling me, asking me, what can we do? Mm -hmm. And still, there's no proper training, no proper methodical way to undo what the divisions in the society had done. Because we have to undo that if we're ever going to get to a point where we can say, yes, we have a solution to the problem. Mm -hmm. so that's essentially how I see it. That's a really good point. You bring up a lot of good, very good points in that. The first one is, I think, this whole concept of unless it's a problem for you, it's really not a problem. And I think that's how, in my opinion, some people operate and it's through that lens. Just like you mentioned, unless it has been a problem for you previously, it's very difficult to recognize how it could be a problem moving forward. So in the teacher's case, if they're hired, let's say for the first time, 
in a community where diversity and inclusion is a large component, but yet they haven't had those experiences before, how do you recognize those things? And the other thing that you pointed out, maybe that you can also touch upon is, sounds like there's a large component of recognizing unconscious bias or biases that we as individuals make when it comes to different circumstances, whether it's teaching at schools or employment and recognizing that, yeah, at least in my opinion, biases are always there. I don't think it's possible to eliminate them because it's one wow. of those things where it's like, you know, you step into certain things and you may not know situations. So you're going to make certain biases based off of your memory and previous experience, but that's not always accurate because the new experience may require something completely different. That's a very good point. And um, one which I always capitalize on when I'm going to um, this issue of training. Um, in my, again, I reference my book. I develop what I call belief formation. And you are born in an environment. You don't have control of it. You may have parents who may take you to some other places where you have opportunity to see other things, learn other things. But if you are confined in a particular area and you grow up, you grow up your, with your parents, dad and mom, your siblings, brothers and sisters, and um, you know all the people who are related within that context, as well as the community members who live in within that area, your friends, the school you you know you you work in, and that again what I, I consider as confined environment. If you don't have any outlet to see other people except from those who are manufactured within that context where you live, and that shapes your belief system, mm -hmm. and hence it's shaped well. That's where, when we talk about conscious or unconscious biases, we already developed that. We all have it. But it's when that bias is so detrimental to other people that it really bothers me. And you see a lot of it. Of course, if you have a brother or sister, you always favor the person. That's just mm -hmm. natural. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, in terms of uh, how we use it in the community, you, again, you cannot divorce your really formed belief system from your behavior. So automatically, you behave in a way that reflects that belief system, hence it's formed. You cannot divorce it. You can lie about it to present good image, but the mm -hmm. fact is that when you get to gut wrenching decision, you have to draw from it. So that's where automatically you do certain things. There's a, a book by uh, someone I know, I can't remember her name, why black kids are sitting together in the, in the cafeteria. Well, it's natural. When you go to a place, you tend to go to people you like, people you are familiar with, especially if you are somebody who had been in a situation where you repeatedly see discriminatory practices and behavior that are inconsistent with how human beings should treat one another, they call it golden rule. You want to treat people how you want to be treated. It's not there. So when you see it over and over again, guess what? It drives your conscious and unconscious behavior. And that's where they come. Now, if you look at NFL uh, games that is now, they are canceling here and there. Some people say, why are they not playing the game? They have the opportunity to, to play. That's rubbish. They don't have idea. I mean, those people who say that, they don't have idea what these players go through. They have to contend with the type of things that they see. Blacks, uh, people being killed. You can even look at the video. It's so despicable. 
these are things you can you can say well police officer regardless of what the offense the person may have committed you can see very vividly that they don't have to kill the person they could arrest the person how normally for violating the law i agree with laws it should be maintained the people up to abide by the law but when you contrast that with how the white people are are treated it's unbelievable Someone sent me a video where a black person did something, um, the very minor thing that shouldn't even be, you know, an issue. And then there's another person, white, killed people, and those people were on, on different sides. You look at that the white person, they were giving him water. You look at the to drink, you look at the white person, the black person, they were putting him in a very terrible circumstance. Now if you're a black person and look at that, it, it adds to historical activities. If you're a scholar, then you go back to history. You can avoid reading and finding out all these things. As you look through them, you see the connection and it even makes you more frustrated. So these people who are canceling games and here, here and there, I think it's high time they do that. In fact, I think they should have done that long time ago. So mm -hmm. that the fact that they're doing it, um, some people think it's just pleasurable to go and watch game, this and that. And that's rubbish. They don't know the magnitude, the pain, the anguish that is sustained by this crappy behavior of treating people differently. Mm -hmm. And that brings me to something like we say, we, we, we are all endured by this, good in life, liberty and pursuit of happiness. How about those people that are always put aside? You know, if you look at uh, um, um, the person I really like, James Bowden, he says, I quote, American history is long, larger, more various, more beautiful, and more terrible than anything anyone has ever said about it. It underscores the type of system we have. People don't discuss this enough. So I think the good news, though, is that with um, the killing or murder of um, George um, um, Freud, it has really brought things to the view of white people. This is what blacks see every day. But he has given a new window through which both blacks and, and uh, brown and white people are seeing the same picture and are saying this is not who we are and i think he's good i think in spite of this it's like every turbulence every turbulence has its own risks as well as opportunities this is actually an opportunity mm -hmm. for both white people and black people to see the inhuman behavior that had been perpetuated from history and they say also I don't mean to say that there's not that we have made advanced advancement. We've made tremendous advancement, but you still have a long way to go. So the current or contemporary issues, people need to see all these things in vivid way, and that's the only way we can come with policies and practices that will help us to move forward. Unfortunately, I don't see it in the leaders. Mm -hmm. That's why I think the first priority is to train the leaders. That you have PhD or you have this and that doesn't give you that. You need to really dig down, deep down, 
learn what you have not learned. Unlearn the terrible thing you had been taught, not intentionally, but because of circumstance you found yourself. You had no other means to know. Mm-hmm. You have to undo that and really give you a better, a better picture, which my belief system and transformation from belief system to transformation one would be the, the cornerstone for making that uh, mm-hmm. shift. What do you think makes 2020 so different? Why is it that we're able to highlight a lot of these problems that seems like have been going on for ye- I mean, years to this point? Is it the advancement in technology that we have? Is it the power of internet, social media? It just gets me curious because, I mean, if you kind of think about certain platforms, Facebook, for example, right? It was what invented in 2004. So, for 16 years, at least in my opinion, I really haven't seen some of these issues to be displayed to the magnitude that they have been in this particular year. And so that's where it gets me curious. Like in your opinion, why is 2020, why does 2020 appear to be so different? I mean, drastically different between what we're choosing to focus on and highlight compared to the issues that we were highlighting in 2019 and all the previous years. Yeah, I really appreciate that uh, question. I think that's the question that I think is foundational. The type of questions I wish leaders are asking. Mm -hmm. Because if they ask those questions, like the one you've asked, it will give them a sense of the world in which we live in. See, Black people had seen this for generations, generations after generations. I don't know if you've had the former Attorney General, um, Huda, who said that he has to teach her son what his dad had taught him growing up, that when you go out, you don't have to you know, be playing like other people do because mm-hmm. you are different, because you're going to be subjected to this situation. You have to look at even Obama, who will talk about that, but utilizing different context, say, for instance, when your name comes in a way people tend to um, not hire you, not because of your qualification, but names or your color, things like that. In fact, Mm -hmm. I have somebody who is developing a mechanism where employers could be, could disguise the color, the name, even the voice to strictly look at the resume without names. And that's recognition of these biases and discriminatory practices. Now, Mm -hmm. coming to why is it more pronounced, the number of things, you mentioned some of them, technology advancement, giving people opportunity to be able to express what mainstream media don't, because mainstream media, by and large, reflects the society. Just look at it. Mm -hmm. They don't reflect the community that they purport to, to talk about. That's why when you see something happen, they put it on the, on the radio, on the TV, and so on. But they don't really have the background information that led to that position. They just supporting their misconception based on how they were brought up, and that comes up. So the one that I think is the climax, if you go back, you see so many terrible, horrible things that have happened including a 10-year-old who would just be asked, said that he'd committed this crime. And 10 minutes, they judge him, 
even killed, I mean, killed the person. I wish I could give you the name, but if you, I can get you back to because these are things I've researched tremendously, I'll provide you the information. Mm-hmm. Now, those things are not brought to light. In small communities who do all these things, and usually that's where people have been trained, social cultured with belief system that they can get away with it. Look at what happened in, 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 in Atlanta, where somebody was running and people mm-hmm. just killed him for that. That's an example of what we're talking about. We only understood that and saw it because somebody used camera to get that. Could you imagine zillions of these things happening and nobody had ever spoken to it? So modern technology is a good example of, as to why we're beginning to see these things. Now, look at George Floyd, which is like, uh, I would say, that it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the one that brought the camels back because it gave people a sense of what black people talk about all the time. Mm-hmm. But nobody really knew this because it wasn't brought to the focus of the people. People are by nature good, as I've always advocated, but they don't see these things. So assuming that you've been brought up in what I described earlier, confined location, you develop your mindset with the hate that these people are de- them. Well, you can't divorce that from how you treat them. But if you happen to look at what happened in Minnesota, see how they killed George Floyd with a police officer putting his knee on this guy mm-hmm. and how the, the bitter end, how this guy called his uh, dead mother and yet this man continued to press until he died. So mm-hmm. those things are now being brought to fore. These are things people never saw. You look at people marching, they're black, they're white, they're co- everyone. And mm-hmm. that's, that's really satisfying to me because it shows me that people are genuinely good based on my philosophy. The thing is that they have different lenses. They had always seen these things, but now they have a common window through which they see this vividly. And they say, this is not good. This is gonna stop. That's why you see all these demonstrations including everyone, which I think is healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot to be said w- about what you just said in, in regard to the different demonstrations. And I mean, even l- looking at some of the professional leagues, NBA, for example, postponing playoffs, which is a, well, I, I don't know how much of a re- revenue driver it is for them now, considering that they can't really fill those seats with with live people. But still, I think, looking at some of these platforms that do have a large viewership and using them as examples to influence other people's thought patterns and help others understand some of the issues that might have, not even might have, that have been, that have gone unnoticed for far too many years. I mean, I can only imagine what it was like prior to the internet or prior to television how do you publicize? How do you voice the things that are happening? Just like you said, in some of those smaller communities, when the, the, even right now, those things are happening because there are communities that don't have easy access to what you and I have, the phone, the laptop, and just simple upload, click of a button or two or three clicks of a button and boom, it's online, it's on YouTube, it's somewhere. But not everyone has access to that. And that's one other thing that I think sometimes gets misunderstood is 
Not everyone has an equal opportunity in life. We all have different opportunities, but no opportunity is the same. I don't get the same opportunities as you. You don't get the same opportunities as me and, and so many other people. But I think it really boils down to what you just said, creating that playing field where we can still choose to acknowledge each other as human beings at the end of the day and then build the world off of that. You know, it's uh, so fitting here for me to tell you about uh, my, um, my group in the LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. We have approximately um, 40 or 400 people, and these are people from all over the world. As I told you, how the variation of time has, uh, you know, affected us. I had someone who was telling me that um, the, the last one we did about police and policing, where we had we were um, honored to have uh, well-trained police chiefs. I wish that other police chiefs are like them, that doing wonderful things, because they know that doing things to reflect the change we are talking about. Mm -hmm. And then in this very thing that I'm happy to talk about, um, you see various views. The, the beauty of it yeah. is that we're able to at least learn. Um, Dalai Lama said that when you, you, you listen, you learn so much that when you talk, Mm -hmm. that environment provides everyone the opportunity to listen. And this is where people share varied experiences. Just for instance, let me put it this way. Your experience about overcoming mm -hmm. um, it really touched me. And there are many people, black and white, from different parts of the world that overcome things. But at the same time, there are people who are in relative positions that when mm -hmm. they overcome certain things, they have opportunity to climb to the second level. But there are some people who, because of the infrastructure of social-related activities, mm -hmm. their chances are limited even at that their trial that they couldn't even go forward. And you can see this when you look at, um, say, employment opportunities, Mm -hmm. You look at brown and black people with highest degree, but still they don't get the opportunities you get. You mm -hmm. see uh, companies where some people will hire new entrants and have them trained by someone, and then they get that person promoted to a higher level position. And so these are the things we discuss. And by discussing these things, I wish enough leaders uh, within that country are involved, but a lot of them are now joining they will learn what they could take back to their organization and begin to make the necessary changes to make this world a better place. Because if it's a better place, where people don't see discriminatory practices that is so ridiculous in our society, to see that human beings could treat them just like they want to be treated, we're going to have a, a wonderful world. Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting point. And the question that I have is this if I can formulate it here. <laughs> but in the case of an individual, someone who, just like you said, has the highest degrees, what do you do at that point? If you just can't create those opportunities because of systematic structures that have been put in place? Yeah, well, that is a, a good question. And it is across the board. And that's the challenge. You can even create something, but the question becomes, can you overcome 
other aspects mm. of interconnected activities that could impede your ability by nature of who you are from mm-hmm. giving the, you know, you can come with innovative plan. Say, for instance, you could come with a plan that could actually change the world. But the question becomes, are you going to have the resource you need to do that? In part, you may not, because you don't have the connections that will lead you to getting the resources that will help you to, to deal with those type of things. So the issue of, uh, that's why I say it's a systemic problem. Mm-hmm. You can, you can, it's like you have stairways. You, you pass the first one, that's achievement. You get to the second one, you look at another achievement. Then you come to the third one, you are blocked. And then most, most people don't stop. They come with a more creative way to avoid that and go through other way. But the question becomes, those impediments, by and large, reduce the magnitude of what one can do. And for people who tend to help other people, it affects, it impacts, it has direct impact to those who would otherwise be helped. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way the system is. Hmm. It's so that's complicated. Mm-hmm. That's a, it's a, it, it really is. If you <laughs> look at it through the lens, there's so many different challenges to solve. And, that's, and it gets me curious, even with everything that we're facing now, where do we start? I mean, yes, a lot of it starts, I think, maybe with the individual level. I think it always has been, right? It always has been with the individual, at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Recognizing the work that you have to do internally as a human being in order to not only create a more inclusive environment, but to recognize some of these other things that have happened for however long. But beyond that, I'm looking at some of these organizations that do have the influence and just, I just get curious, like, what's the step that you're going to take? Well, from, I mean, just as you said, every individual has a role to play. Mm-hmm. And your, your relative contribution will depend on your footprints. How large is it? How small it is? But it boils down to wherever you are, do what you can do. Now, let me give you an instance. If you look at what is happening now, when this um, sports, you know, cancels, other people cancel, and I, you, you alluded to the fact that they are losing money. Absolutely, but you see, that's part of the problem because mm-hmm. sometimes some people think that money is everything, mm-hmm. especially in the, the system we have. Money is not everything. I believe that people should consciously think through, is this the right thing to do? If it's not right thing to do, even though you can get money from it, don't do it. Because that's why you have all the criminal activities. There's no difference between criminals or people who who try to avoid criminal acts Mm -hmm. just because they get money Mm -hmm. or paid money to not to talk about it. And which which is very common in this system. Now, when you go directly, what can you do? These people, sports I mentioned, are doing their part. And some media, objective media, are playing their part. I watched, I watched uh, uh, Morning Joe this morning. The way he was dissecting this was very, very um, helpful because people could see things. He's a white man, but he understood 
And this is what people can understand. And when they understand in their small roles, they contribute so much mm-hmm. to changing the society for better. Now, the other part is that people should begin to be involved in situations where they don't, they don't have to feel bad because somebody pointed out what they're doing that needs to be changed. They should be, they should be humble and should be appreciative that they have a means through which they can learn what they didn't know. It's like technology. A lot of people go into learning this tool, learning that tool to, in order to advance. So everyone, regardless of your position, especially those in leadership position, they should equally learn in order to use that knowledge to infuse diversity within their system. And as I said, it depends on your footprint. You can operate at small level, middle level, or highest level. And so that's how I see it. Everyone has responsibility. Dr. Noya, I know you and I can have this conversation for however many hours leading, <laughs> leading up from today, but I would, you're definitely going to be back for part two and three and four of this dialogue. But as kind of some of the closing remarks, what are some of the best ways that people can get in touch with you? I know that you briefly mentioned about that LinkedIn group, and I know that you and I connected through LinkedIn as well, and then also the book. What's the best place that people can find that book that you have published and purchased for their understanding and different insights that they can develop from it? Yeah, people can, people can find me via um, my um, systemicdiversity.org or people can find me in what I think is the easiest way, just typing my name on the LinkedIn and they will get me. Or they can find me by simply going to the group S D I G, which is the one that is hosting people from all over the world. And I have uh, quite a number of leaders who are now joining. Um, the challenge I have now is to find a way to, to make some money so that I can be able to use it to get more people involved, mm. to be able to actively um, help me because right now it's a one-man show. Mm-hmm. And some of the people are now taking, you know, taking responsibility, but it would be helpful if I have a means to, um, you know, to have support system. And as far as my book, they can get my book from Amazon. And I really love the one that they call Good Read because I've, <laughs> I, got, I got some wonderful review, mostly from Europeans who actually read. Mm-hmm. So I'm very impressed with that. So ideally, type, uh, you know, um, Good Read and then get to that place, put down my name. You get that, you get the wonderful reviews from my viewpoint. I just love what they say that people are never really know that. Uh, when I look for that, I found out that they're white people, which means these are people hmm. who understand. One of them said something along the line that this book should be in every college library. That really warmed my heart. Hmm. That means that change is possible. Oh, of course. Thank you all for choosing to tune in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard on any of the previous episodes, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google 
so more people can hear these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next week.